Thank you uh, again for being here, uh, for uh, being church today. Uh, we're going to hear the word of God uh, through a wonderful, uh, dear friend and, and brother. It is a real treat for us to be able to uh, have the word uh, taught and uh, packaged and a meal prepared in, in such a way that we can receive it so easily and uh, with such, a, uh, yeah, with such a, a, a humble reception of the word. Pastor Sam Kim is our guest speaker. He's been speaking through us uh, to us throughout this weekend, Friday night. And Saturday night just shared some powerful messages about uh, what it is, a, a God whose compassion goes beyond uh, comprehension. Last night about just coming back to the heart of it all, being loved by Jesus and then loving him in return. These uh, messages are available on our website and on our podcast. You can uh, download them, listen to them on your drive or on your commute or wherever you go. I would highly encourage you to do that, <clears throat> whether you will be hearing it for the first time or you'll be hearing it for the second time. Um, there's so much, so much goodness in that uh, that the Lord was doing through the uh, opening up of the Word of God. So please do take some time to, uh, to uh, reference those and to allow God to, to minister to your soul through it. Uh, today we're going to hear again from him. He's a pastor at Great Commission Community Church out, right outside of Washington, D.C. It's a couple campuses. He serves on staff with uh, another brother, Pastor Steve Kim, who's been down here. He came down here last summer, actually. Uh, and they do some great uh, team ministry, reaching out to a very uh, strategic area of our nation, in our nation's capital. Uh, he's married to Alice. Uh, they have a, a wonderful ministry together where uh, they travel oftentimes and, and do teaching, on, especially on marriage and, and other things like that, raising healthy families. He's got two uh, adorable girls in, in my office on my desk. Uh, there's a picture that his oldest, Olivia, drew uh, for me. Uh, she drew a picture of me. It uh, looks really, uh, really nice. Uh, it's hanging in my, in my office. Olivia is in sixth grade now, and Natalie's in fourth grade, and uh, over this long weekend, um, they have been so gracious as to let uh, their husband and father and pastor come and be with us to bless us on this weekend. And so um, it is a treat. I am very intentional about who I invite to speak in our pulpit. I think that um, I would rather preach than not. Um, that's, that's my posture because I love, um, this is what the Lord has gifted and called me to do. And I, I find um, joy in so doing. But in weekends like this and in special occasions where there's times to opportunities to have guest speakers. Um, it's very, uh, you know, it's not just, oh, first name, I'll, I'll, play, uh, I'll play cell phone Rolodex and, and roulette and find somebody and whoever I point to is going to be it. Um, but uh, we're very intentional about it. First of all, um, I, I think one of the things that we look for is somebody that can minister to our congregation. Uh, there are some great preachers out there, uh, but not everyone that can minister to our particular demographic of youth and adults alike. Uh, there's also people who are great preachers, but they're uh, not good pastors. They're not lovers of people and lovers of God. Uh, people who uh, will preach and then they'll go into their room and, and hide out. Uh, pastor Sam is not like that. I also want to bring in somebody that I think in, in, in this particular context will be able to be more effective in, in reaching our congregation uh, than I can or that anyone else can at this particular season of our lives. And so I feel like for this weekend... Uh, Pastor Sam is a man, and I know that uh, as I hear him and as I spend time with him, that I will be encouraged and I will be filled and I'll be blessed in order that I can better shepherd uh, you as a flock of God as well. And so uh, my heart has been ministered to, as I know many of you have. Uh, some have testified to that already and will continue to, to hear testimonies of that. Uh, it is a great uh, privilege for us to have and a great pleasure for me to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Reverend Sam Kim. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. Church. 
Good morning, Harvest, and greetings from uh, uh, my church, uh, who is praying for you, and my family, uh, who uh, uh, I think they miss me. Uh, I text them more than they text me uh, while I'm away. Um, you know, it's, it's rare that I, I don't go away too often. Uh, most of the speaking engagements that my wife and I uh, take on, we do together. The girls are of an age where we go with them, and we do ministry with them. Um, and uh, but I remember last year was the first time my wife and I left our girls. We went to uh, we were invited by some friends in Denver to come out and speak, and it was the first time that we had left them for a ministry assignment. Uh, we've we've gone on missions with our girls <laughs> a couple summers ago. We've you know we do these things together as a family. Uh, but I remember one thing someone said and then prayed over me because I was feeling a little bit guilty. I'll be honest with you, I feel guilty because I want to be one of those good dads, and. Uh, but one person prayed this over me, someone on our staff. She prayed that may my girls know as much as I love them, there is something I love more. And that is one of the best ways that I can love them. Now, I don't think I'm neglectful. I think by God's grace, my wife and I, we have this similar approach of raising our daughters to hopefully grow up healthy, not just spiritually, but emotionally and mentally and socially. They're all intertwined. But there are times when God will call you to do something that is not natural or comfortable to you to serve another, but in fact you will serve the one you feel like you're sacrificing. It's not, it's not often, but there are times and occasions when God will call you out to do something which is not natural to you for the sake of his glory for the good of others and even for the good of those you feel like you're leaving behind. So I really believe my girls hopefully are having a good time with my wife. They're doing nails, you know. Uh, they, have, they call it secret chocolate parties, but it doesn't have to be a secret. I'm not around, okay? Uh, <laughs> um, but do, I do appreciate I know you guys have been praying for them as well. Let's pray once more, friends, as we go into this time. With, uh, as Pastor Deal loves to say, with great expectation. Father God, we love you, we bless you. It is the name above all names. Uh, there is no other name by which we can be saved. And in your name, you say we can ask, we can knock, and you will answer when we ask in your name. With your spirits prompting and leading and guidance. And God, we know when we come to your word, which is inspired by your spirit, and ask for you to speak and teach and transform, that's one of the prayers you love to answer. Because it's all about you and for you ultimately. So meet us in this place. Be your Holy Spirit, be our teacher, our guide, our convictor, and the one who empowers us, not just to hear, but to be a doer of the word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage I'll be speaking from is Ephesians chapter 4. Um, over the next uh, couple of messages today, tonight, or this afternoon and tomorrow morning, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about, we're going we're to talk more about uh, the body life, so to speak, of, of a believer, the community life, and, and also still talking about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, but in the context of community. Ephesians chapter 4, I would like to read this aloud to you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version translation, but if you have an NIV, NLT, whatever it is, just be in the Word. Um, but let me read this out aloud for us together. Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. I'm sorry, some of you guys are still looking, and that's okay. 
all right? And if you need to use the table of contents, that's okay, all right? Uh, But let me continue in verse uh, two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed and to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and de- deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in every way, every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. Today I'm going to speak to you. My message title is this, Waving Free Agency for Spiritual Maturity. Waving Free Agency for Spiritual Maturity. Back in 2011, who won the NBA championships? Anybody remember? 2011. Yeah. Huh? Lakers. Ooh, it's been a while, bro. Okay. Got to turn it back a little, dial it back a little further. Uh, But it's a team that had never won it in its history until 2011. Good guess, though. It was the Mavs. Mavericks, okay? And if I was speaking in Cleveland today, everybody would have known that. Why? Why? Uh, Because... uh, (laughs) Um, as you might recall, there's a, a lesser-known basketball player named LeBron James. Because prior to the, that year, he had declared that he'll be joining two of his friends, uh, friends Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, to play for the Miami Heat. Because he wanted to re- reach the dream of winning multiple championships. And they did. They won a couple in, in, a, in, in a short amount of time. And for those who don't know why Cleveland would be elated that, uh, that LeBron didn't win the ring that year, it's because um, he grew up in Cleveland, in the Cleveland area. And he was a hometown hero. He went to high school just down the road from where his team, the, the, the Cavaliers, right now he's playing on the Cavaliers. He, only, he lived only an hour away from there. He was drafted. He, was, uh, he went to high school in the area. And so when he left Cleveland to go to, go to Miami... Uh, the, the Cleveland fans, understandably so. I've actually talked to people from Cleveland, and until a year ago, his name was uh, a curse word, okay? I would say, what do you think about La? And before I could even say his name, he's like, I don't want to talk about it, okay? 
Because they felt, the Cleveland fans, that he, they felt that he betrayed them. They, they turned his back on his te- more than his team, but his city, his state, his loyal fans, all who followed him from youth. Now, I'm not here to question LeBron's decision. It seemed to have worked out well for him. Uh, but, I, but I'm sure Cleveland, uh, uh, Miami was a little bit happy this past NBA championship, okay, as uh, the Golden State uh, beat the Cavs. But it leads me to wonder and ask if any of us here, even if you're uh, just starting out here in the youth group, or if you've been at Harvest for a long time, I wonder if any of us have a similar attitude in our approach to God's family here. I call it a free agent mentality. What is a free agent mentality? It's this, when you only stick around, step up, open up, and reach out when it benefits you. And it meets your needs, your comforts, and your wants. Friends, I'm here to speak to you and remind you of a, of a gospel truth. And this is the way we dis- display and demonstrate the gospel to each other and to the world. God calls us to be a family. Harvest, you are a family. And the way we treat, think, and care for one another. So I ask you this this morning as we go into our text. What's your attitude been like lately towards your family? Has it been like a family member or a free agent? And if so, if you, if you approach uh, this body life, this community as a family member, what difference would it and should it make in the way you build new relationships, you de- deepen the existing ones, maybe start helping out, contributing to the needs, vision, and mission of your church? Here's the main idea of my message. And I think it's in your notes, but if it's not, would you jot it down? So my summary statement, I call it. Authentic community unleashes our potential for spiritual maturity. Authentic community unleashes our potential for spiritual maturity. And there are three marks of a community committed to spiritual maturity. Three marks that I find in the passage that I just read. Here we go. First mark is this, loving one another humbly at the foot of the cross. Loving one another humbly at the foot of the cross. Our motive, our means for loving one another here at Harvest is the love that flows from the cross. It's rooted in who we are, whose we are, because of what Jesus did on that cross. Look with me in verses 1 and 4. Verse 1, Paul sets it very clearly, the foundation for the exhortation and the teaching he just, he's about to lay out. Therefore, a, a prisoner, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And you heard me emphasize the word call. It's repeated several times in those two verses because there's significance in that. It's not a vocation. The, an older translation of the Bible, uh, the King James Version, they use, they use the word vocation instead of calling in these verses. But I don't think that's really the, the, the best word. Here's why. Because the word vocation connotes something we choose. People ask you, what do you do for a living? What's your vocation? What's your profession? Oftentimes it's what we choose. While the word calling is something for which we are chosen. You're called. You know, this this is the mystery of God's sovereignty and the way that we also exert our will. Yeah, you chose harvest, but I'm here to tell you, there's a God who chose you to be at harvest. 
The God who orchestrated your circumstances, led you in disappointments, led your family to move to here versus maybe to Atlanta, maybe versus Miami, versus up to Northern Virginia, where I'm from, or to L.A. or Chicago or Dallas. There is a God who orchestrated sovereignly for you to be here. And oftentimes it's through the path of disappointment, delay, and, and, and oftentimes, um, yeah, downright closed doors. A lot of you are here if you were to really think about it because things did not go your way. But I'm here to tell you it did go your way because God is the one who created your way. Because that path is ultimately to himself so that we may know him, love him, and share his love with others. You're called. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And that should humble us and also that should motivate us. You know what's neat about the way God chooses? He chooses things that no one else would choose. He doesn't choose teams. He doesn't choose teams like professional uh, uh, sports teams, which do draft picks and scouting reports. He doesn't do it that way. He chooses the unqualified, the weak, so that he his strength would be made known, and so that he can reveal himself through those who are weak and foolish in the world's eyes. Even the word church, the word church. Uh, Pastor D.L. mentioned it already. I'm sure you heard it. What does the word church literally mean? Do you know what the word church means? It does not mean a building. Even though that's how God spreads his work, the gospel through facilities like the one you have and the one that you're building, the word church literally means called out ones. Called out. Called out from something for something. You're called out. That the word church, did you realize in, the, in, in, in church history, it never referred to a building until several hundred years after uh, the church was started in the book of Acts? There was never an address associated with a church because there's always people. You are the church. Stop going to church, be the church. Stop going to church, be the church. And so when you come on Sundays, it's actually the church coming together to worship as a larger body. What is our calling? What is our calling? Look what it says in verse 1. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received. That word worthy is the key to understanding our calling. Our calling is, the word worthy, it's, it's, it's a word used in the original language of the New Testament to describe scales. In other words, that's something that should be balanced. Okay? In other words, the way we live practically, who we are as Christ's beloved, as Christ's followers, should be balanced in the way... We see ourselves as his children. In other words, who we are should match how we live. That's what the word worthy means. It should be consistent. In other words, if you are a Christian, it will shape the way you love other people, see other people, care for other people, reach out to other people, listen to other people, forgive other people. And how do we do it? Humbly, because it's based on who we are, based on what Jesus has done for us. How do we live it out? By loving one another. In a Christ-like manner. Look what it says in verse 2. With, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Oh, man. Humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. In other words, be Jesus to each other. Be Jesus to each other. 
And all the way, another way we live out our calling is being unified. Look what it says in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity. Why does unity matter? Why does it matter that we, uh, so to speak, get along as a family? Some of you are saying, my family, we don't get along, but it seems to work. Yeah, that's fine, okay? That's fine for your family. I'm not saying that's ideal for your family. Uh, but I think your family may have a different purpose than the family that God has designed and God has called together. Your family may be operating on this level so that everybody can get ahead. You know, get, the next generation gets ahead of the, the previous one. In God's family, it's not just so that one part of the family gets ahead. It's so that all of us get ahead in Christ. Do you hear me? Yeah. That's why unity matters. It's about all of us moving and growing towards Christ so that we grow up in him. Why does unity matter? Here's why. Because unity either underscores or undermines our witness to the world. That's why Jesus says, um, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know why our relationships matter to God? It's because if we can't get along... If we can't forgive, if we can't work out our differences and our diversity in Christ, then the world can ha- has every right to say to us as children, as, as God's children, as his church, the gospel makes no difference. But if we do seem to, in our diversity, in our various backgrounds, in our various levels and of spiritual maturity and journeys, we seem to have a similar goal and vision and purpose in mind, then the people who are watching us, and they are watching us, will say the gospel does make a difference. So our unity matters. Our relationships matter because it impacts our witness to the world. Your house church, it matters because those who your house church are around, in other words, the people in their lives, they're watching the house church members to see what does that kind of community look like when Christ is at the center, the core, and the focus. You know, it's not easy but it requ- because it requires so much humility. And that kind of humility does not come from ourselves. It can only come from Jesus and his work on the cross. You know, a uh, number of years ago, I'll just, like I said, I mentioned yesterday, I went over to visit some friends from a mission organization that I worked with out on the, the Space Coast, um, just an hour away from here. And I told them this story uh, because, oh, it's, it's a painful story. Uh, a number of years ago, back in the late 90s, I was assigned uh, on an, uh, uh, to uh, work on an, at an orphanage and work with street kids in the country of Mozambique. One of, at the time, one of the poorest nations on the, on the planet. And I was there to live at an orphanage and work with the street kids and just to build them up in Christ, to love on them and to point them to the Savior. And the problem was this. I went with someone I did not like. Our mission organization sent me with a, uh, someone who was new to our staff. She was an, an older lady. who she, she had a different view of ministry. And Loretta is her name. And she and I did not get along. And, you know, I, I just, you know... Uh, you know, I think I'm an easygoing guy from New Jersey, okay? I know New Jersey and easygoing don't go together, but I'm an easygoing guy from New Jersey, all right? But she got on my nerves. And something, something really neat came up, neat for me. Uh, after she was in the country, she realized, looking at her passport, man, she only had a one-month visa. I had a three-month visa. 
she would have to leave the country and try to get it renewed. <laughs> really, Loretta? You have to leave the country and you might not come back? I'm so sad. Well, unfortunately, that was my attitude. Instead of kind of championing and praying and, and rooting for her, I was like, if it doesn't work out, we've got to think through a plan B if you don't come back. I really gave her the cold shoulder, and I wasn't even subtle about it. Uh, later on, just shortly after we discovered that, and she was packing up to go, she had to go to Zimbabwe to apply for a visa just to get back into the country. I was reading in my devotions that morning, and this is why I emphasize being in the Word of God regularly. You know why? Because you have no control sometimes of what God's going to say to you. That's the thing about when you listen to podcasts, you can scroll down the podcasts that you want to hear. But when you're in the Word regularly, you don't have to go looking for verses. Verses come looking for you. And the verse came looking for me. I was reading from Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus talks about himself. He says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then he ends that passage by saying, for I'm lowly and meek in heart. And as I read about Jesus' description of himself, that was so far from the way I was acting towards Loretta. And I remember after I read that, I quickly called her aside and I said, Loretta, and I, I remember still, I got on my knees, she was seated I said, I have to ask for your forgiveness. I read this verse, and I have been far from being like Jesus to you. And you know what she said to me? You're right. <laughs> you, no, she didn't give it to me. She could have. She's like, you're right, but I really appreciate you saying I'm asking for, for my forgiveness. And she forgave me. You know what's amazing? From that moment on, I didn't want anybody else but Loretta to work for me. We had a different kind of unity. It was a humble unity. It was a, based on the brokenness and also the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. Love one another humbly. Church at the foot of the cross. Love one another humbly at the foot of the cross. Because when you're at the foot of the cross, it's hard not to forgive someone who has hurt you. Number two, love one another at the foot, humbly at the foot of the cross. Secondly, build one another up to become more like Christ. Building one another up to be more like Christ. What is the goal of walking in a manner worthy of the calling to maintain the unity of the spirit? One of the goals is spiritual maturity. Look what it says in verses 12 through 14. To equip all the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. It's to equip. It's to build up. That's why we want to experience community, authentic, Christian, Christ-centered, grace-based, gospel-driven community in our midst. And so that we may grow up, we may become mature, that we may no longer be children who are susceptible to false doctrine and the whims of our emotions and life. That word equip, look with me in verse 12. If you would just focus on that word, it's, very, it's a very important word to understand how we do this. That word equip literally is used in the original language, and it's also used to describe fishermen who are mending their nets. 
It's also used in a medical way to describe a, a broken bone that is being set to be realigned. In other, words, in other words, to equip each other, to build each other up in Christ, it takes patience, it takes gentleness, and perseverance. It doesn't happen like that. You won't equip someone in weeks. You may not even equip someone in months. But it takes patience, perseverance, and gentleness. That's how we equip one another. My, uh, my, my question to you is this. Who are you equipping? Who are you currently equipping? Some of you are saying, I'm in sixth grade. I'm in seventh grade. Okay. Uh, who, what do you mean? I, who am I equipping? Well, it's according to the Bible, everyone's been given a gift. Don't let... Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young is what the Bible says. But you can be an example, and you are an example. So who are you equipping? But I'm busy. It's a tough time in my life. Who are you equipping? Or, which is I, I find often is the case for a lot of people, a lot of Christians, are you waiting for someone to equip you? Some of you are saying, what do I have to offer this body? Especially if you're new, if you're young. You have something to offer. Why? Because God has gifted you. Look with me in verse 7. But grace has been given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gifts. God has uniquely gifted you to contribute to the spiritual needs of others. And, and Paul lists some. He says he's, there's some apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists, there are shepherds, and there are teachers. Church, please don't fall into this consumeristic mindset or slip into this. It's never about one or two people running the show here. Because that's not called a church. It's called... Uh, dictatorship. And that's not what we find in the scriptures. I love this quote by David Platt. He writes this in his book, Radical Together. The goal of the church is never for one person to be equipped and empowered to lead as many people as possible to Christ. The goal always for all of is always and for all of God's people to be equipped and empowered to lead as many people to Christ. The spirit of God has empowered every follower of Christ to accomplish the purpose of God for the glory of God in the world. This includes the so-called wrong people. Those who are the least effective, the least brilliant, or the least talented in the church. Building the right church, then, is dependent on using all the wrong people. So if you think, I'm, I'm not the person for this job, I, I, what do I have to give? It's not about what you have to give. It's what has God given to you that you are meant to share. So that we can build each other up, to grow up in Christ. We all have something to contribute. Some of you are saying, I still don't know. Uh, I don't have the gifts, the skills, the experience, the maturity, the age. I don't know if I can offer anything to anyone here at our fellowship in this community. Well, you can offer something. I'll tell you this. It's yourself. One author he, or, or one pastor on the West Coast, he says this. The greatest gift of grace is self. Grace is therefore God's self-donation, his self-giving. He not only gives blessing to men, he gives himself. For more, far more than all those blessings, he blesses us with his personal presence. You know, one of the best ways you can bless this church is to show up with expectation. Your presence matters so, so much to God and his people. Give the gift of self to one another. Build one another up for yourself. And, and please don't be focused on how many people are at a certain event 
I, I would get this sometimes when I was a youth pastor, and I don't say this only youth pastors think, youth, uh, young people think this way, but, you know, we would start a youth group at a certain time, and there's only like a handful of people. I don't know if this happens in Florida, okay, but up in, people seem to run late. There's a lot of traffic in the D.C. area. There's only like only maybe a third or a quarter of the people who we're expecting. And, you know, if you're one of the first people, you know, that's one of the worst feelings when you go to a youth event, to be the first one there. That's why you linger in the hallway, okay? Well, the f- one, one time the first person came, and, and there's like maybe four or five students, and they look right up at me and say, Pastor Sam, where is everybody? Nobody's here. And I said, I guess I'm a nobody. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> but I think that's our mentality. We focus on what's not here more than what is here. You have something to offer. It's yourself. It's your testimony. It's your stories. It's your burdens. It's your prayers. It's your tears. Yourself. The greatest gift that we can even long for today is Christ's presence himself. And we have it by his spirit. So that we may build one another up. Love one another humbly at the foot of the cross. Build one another up to become more like Christ. That's the goal. And lastly, doing life together without compromising our convictions. Doing life together without compromising our convictions. The key to the Christian life is never, was that the Christian life was never designed or intended to do alone. One pastor, John Piper, he says, sanctification is a community project. Our growth in holiness, our growth in Christ-likeness cannot be, was never intended to be done alone. Do you realize that the majority, look up here, catch this, don't miss this, the majority of the commands in the New Testament are in a plural voice. In other words, you can't obey the Bible on your own. It's in the context of people and community and relationship. But we're to do life together without compromising our convictions. That's why verses 15 and 16 are are a part of this passage. Look with me there. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Now, I've seen this phrase used oftentimes out of context to justify rebuke without sensitivity, prayer, or uh, humility. I'm just speaking truth in love, bro. Come on, sister. The Bible says speaking truth in love. Are you ready for some truth? I'm ready to speak. Oh, boy. But that, that phrase, uh, it's out of context. Is actually, uh, they're misinterpreting it because it's not what the text is actually saying. Speaking the truth in love emphasizes a lifestyle and an attitude, not so much words and a concept. Because the word speaking literally means walking. Huh? So the literal translation of speaking the truth in love is truthing in love. That your life embodies truth and love, and therefore that's why you can bring correction, loving correction to someone. It's being or walking in love. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes this just a couple of verses later, chapters later, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's the same idea. It's about who you are and how you live that actually speaks louder than the words that you'll say to someone. You know the most convicting thing you can do to someone who you you think you need to correct and set them straight is show them how God is correcting you and setting you straight. That's really one of the most convicting things. It's showing them how much you need God's mercy and grace and you're clinging to his love and his mercy from the cross. 
That's the loudest way, the best way you can communicate it. Does it mean you're absent of words? Absolutely not. But your, wor- your, your life should speak much louder, and it always will, than your words. Truth is a verb. And we can, but we cannot speak truth in love. We cannot be truthing in love or, or walking in love with one another if we're not connected to one another. Look in verse 16, and it says, From the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped for when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, you cannot give this truth in love. You cannot receive truth in love if you're not in connection. If you're not staying connected, if you're not involved, if you're not uh, practicing the discipline of community, of of vulnerability, of confession, of accountability with another, if you're not doing that, then there is no way for people to build you up, to do life with you without compromising your conviction of who you are and what Jesus stands for and who we are to represent. It's, it's supposed to be ongoing. It's not, hey, I used to go here. Hey, I showed up a few times. The, the, the phrase joined and held together that we see in verse 16, it, they're present tense verbs. In other words, it's an ongoing process. It's not so much I was at harvest or I gave some time last year or I used to be involved. It's about being involved in an ongoing way. And that's how we transmit and experience and exchange God's grace with one another. You want to grow up? Are you tired of being a baby in the faith? Some of you don't mind, but you know what? You know who else doesn't mind you being a baby? The enemy. He wants you to be uh, <laughs> at the whim of your emotions or someone else's crafty teaching that is not rooted in Scripture. He wa- That's the enemy's desire. God wants you to grow up, to be mature, to be more like Christ. But that requires humility. Loving one another. It requires doing life together and intentionally, patiently building one another up in Christ. I close with this. A few years ago, I was living, as I mentioned, in Merritt Island. And my brother, who was, uh, at the time, he was uh, working in D.C. And he was, uh, he was a consultant, so uh, I think only on the weekends could, he, could I potentially see him. I have a younger brother, two years younger than me, and my younger sister, who was about seven years younger than me. My brother and I, we were kind of close uh, growing up until I went to college. More we were like play buddies. We played basketball, baseball together, played volleyball, and all that. We were just kind of playmates, so to speak. But we never really connected on a heart-to-heart. We don't really talk, you know. Um, we taunt, we tease like typical brothers. Uh, and went off, went off to college. I wouldn't say we grew distant. We just we had less in common because our relationship was more recreational than uh, spiritual or anything else. Well, a few, uh, few, few years ago, well, when I was living in Florida, my brother said, hey, I have a free weekend. I'm going to come down and visit you. I said, that's great. And I told him, I just let, need to let you know, okay, you're coming down on a Friday. On Sunday, actually, I'm going to drive down to Miami. He said, that's perfect because I'm going to catch a flight out of Orlando on Sunday. And boom, you know, you go your way, I go my way. And those two, two, three days, we had a great time. It was simple, really great time. But on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, back then, this is the late 90s, you had to call, okay, on your phone that was connected to the wall with a wire, okay? Uh, <laughs> you had to call the airline to check on your flight, okay, just to see if it was on time. Well, to his disappointment, he got the news that his flight was delayed one more day. 
And, uh, my, you know, I had a roommate, Trevor, great guy. He got to, he got to know my brother, liked my brother. My brother liked him. I'm like, okay, that's good. But I told my brother on Sunday, I've got to go to Miami. <laughs> I have friends waiting for me. So uh, I remember saying to my brother, you know, his name is Hung Jin. I said, Hung Jin, you know, I've got to go. Are you cool with that? He's like, I'm cool. I said, bye. <laughs> have a great time with Trev. I remember even uh, Trevor, my, my roommate, um, he, 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 he did what he, I think he did in the right spirit. He did what he, I wish, I wish I could do better for other people. He corrected me humbly, but in love. But Sam, if I had a brother, you know, he had two sisters. He said, if I had a brother, I'd cancel my trip to Miami. I said, Trevor, you don't have a brother, so I don't want to listen to you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> have a good time with my brother. And so uh, I got in the car, my, and, you know, my brother, he had a rental car. He's like, I'm good. I'm like, okay, you know. So I got in the car. I drove down Courtney Parkway, hopped onto 520. I was about to hit 95. I had to stop for some gas. And as I was pumping gas, something didn't feel right. And it wasn't indigestion. Something in my spirit said, this is all wrong. So I actually popped into a friend's house who lived nearby, the friend I visited actually yesterday. said, Ron and Janice, this is my dilemma. This is, this is what I did. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, I, I, I need to do the right thing. They said, okay. So I borrowed their phone. I called my friends in Miami, and I said, I'm not coming down. And for these reasons. I turned my car around, came back. My brother had already fallen asleep. He was taking a nap that afternoon. And then it was to his surprise, when he woke up from the nap, he saw me. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, uh, I canceled my trip. And uh, I don't know if we had, like, a life-changing evening of hanging out. We didn't, like, overhaul a transmission together or go paintballing or go hunting, something very masculine. I think we just rented a movie from Blockbuster, okay? <laughs> movie night, thank you. Um, the next day, he got in his rental car and went back to the airport, but he left me a, call. He left me a note. He said, uh, and my brother and I, we don't write notes. Even to this day, my mom still calls me, did you talk to your brother? I go, why? <laughs> Is there something wrong? <laughs> Do we need to coordinate a family reunion? <laughs> but he wrote me a note. Thanks for a great time. Thanks for being a great brother. Uh, Harvest, people need a brother here, and that's you. Harvest, there's someone here who needs a sister, and that's you. And I would, I would even dare say, you may need them more than they need you. Because it's not about what you can give them. It's about who you're becoming and reflecting as you do life together. This authentic community unleashes the power and the potential for spiritual maturity. There are many older and younger brothers and sisters here at Harvest who need your gifts, your experiences, your testimony, your struggles, your pains, your prayers, and above all, 
your presence. Maybe God is leading some of us to change your attitude about being a part of this church. No longer a free agent mentality. No longer a contract year mentality of, we'll see how I do this year and we'll negotiate. Maybe it's time to start engaging, opening up, serving, loving, and seeking one another, seeing one another as the family of God. If you could, as I close, and we're about to come to the table, if there's someone who has done you a great service in your spiritual journey of speaking truth and love to you, could I invite you to thank them sometime this week? Send them a quick text, post something on their Facebook, or call them up, say something to them in person. Thank you for sticking around and helping me to grow to be more like Jesus. And also, as we enter the fall, Would you take the posture of humility and initiate and reach out to someone else so that we can equip them for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much that uh, it doesn't just end with salvation, but there is so much more. Salvation points us to the ultimate salvation, but in the process, you're sanctifying us, you're refining us, you're maturing us. Because even in that process, we are glorifying you. So, Father, I pray we wouldn't miss out on opportunities to glorify you as we grow up in you. As a church, as a body, as a house church, as as brothers and sisters in Jesus. So meet us here. Stir in us. Stir in us to be people not of just hearers, but doers of your word. Trusting that you always provide for what you command. So, Father, I pray your spirit would, yes, help us to open up our schedules, open up our lives, open up, yeah, open up a lot, our homes to one another, so that we may see, exalt, and reflect Jesus to each other. And it's in your name we pray.